Good day. It's a pleasure, an honor, and a privilege to share God's Word with you once again. We're going to continue with our topic, What is in Your Hand? Chapter 3, and the title of the chapter is, What is in Your Hand? Many of God's people disregard themselves. They see themselves as nobodies, and because of this innate inborn intrinsic natural perception of themselves, they sadly fail to achieve in life. Sadly, many fail both intellectually and secularly. Born-again spiritual children of God must deal with this horrible inferior complex. So many of us are in desperate need of a God-infused biblical understanding of just who we are in Christ Jesus. Reflecting over our past, many of us are strewn with failure, rejection, poverty, and illiteracy. We wring our hands in despair, placing ourselves on the shelves of God's intended blessings, resigned never to be a blessing to God and to His church. It is true that our environment molds and shapes us for our future. And often because God was not in the center of our past, we feel we are earmarked for failure. Our mindsets have to change because there's absolutely nothing that God cannot undo and change for the better. Maybe our upbringing has stripped us of our dignity and self-worth, but let us assure ourselves this, exact, this is exactly the type of persons that our Lord Jesus Christ uses for His glory and work. God, in His mercy, delights to use the discarded, the marginalized, the downtrodden. How true is the scripture? But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. 1 Corinthians 1.27, the King James Version. Early in my ministry, the good Lord spoke into my spirit these uplifting words. God will take a nobody from nowhere. And God will make that nobody a somebody. And after God has made that nobody a somebody, God will place that nobody, now a, a God somebody, somewhere. And after God has taken that nobody from nowhere and made him a somebody and placed him somewhere, God will then send him everywhere. Many of us have been marginalized in our own family circles and sadly, we have brought this rejected spirit into our walk with God and the church. Many of us feel that there is no room for us in the church. We feel that we are overlooked by the leadership of our local churches and because of this unfounded misconception of ourselves, we, be, we, be, we become recluses and we suffer the horrible consequences of self-imposed separation which robs us, no doubt, of God's intended blessings for our life and ministry. No doubt, our leadership, our church leadership have disregarded us. However, let me assure all who suffer an acute inferior complex, complex that the Holy Spirit is not like man. He does not look for perfection in man, rather, He looks to the potential in man that will lead to perfection. The gentle Holy Spirit considers our faithfulness and humility. 
He's not moved with their talents and abilities. No matter, no matter our rejection, poverty, literacy, and incompetence, He's more than able to perform wonders in our life and ministries. Let us, by the help of the Holy Spirit and the forever effective Word of God, resolve to follow after faithfulness and humility. Let us cry out to God to remove this inferior complex, that He may fill us with His person and power, that we may become mighty soldiers of the cross of Calvary. Throughout the Bible, there are many mighty men of God who once saw themselves as insignificant, men whose dignity was were at a low ebb. They saw nothing good in themselves, but this was not how God saw them. He saw in them His power and glory. Out from their nothingness, He molded greatness and influence that affected their generations and future generations. God can do the very same for you and I. What is in your hand today? Give it to God and you'll be amazed how you will be used of a mighty God. Let's now speak of Moses. One of the remarkable revelations of the unadulterated word of God is just how God presents his servants to you and I. All of the servants of God are disclosed. That's all their habits. The good and bad are as an open book to us all. Nothing is hidden from us. No doubt, this is for a definite purpose. God knows how we love to imitate and mimic others, and therefore He purposely displays all of His servants' character, strengths and weaknesses of ministry, that we may be more godly in character and more effective in ministry. We are well aware that we learn so much from other people's strengths and other people's mistakes. Moses was one of the greatest prophets of Jehovah God. Yet on scrutiny of his life and ministry, we discover so many flaws. Like you and I, Moses was not perfect. However, he served a perfect God. Let me reiterate that. Like you and I, Moses was not perfect. However, he served a perfect God. As we study the life and ministry of Moses, chew the spiritual meat and discard the physical bones. We too can become mighty men and women of God, doing exploits for God that will bring honor to His name and deliverance and blessing to the people of God. Now let's talk about the meaning of the name Moses. I have often asked my family, my close friends and myself, what is in a name? The answer I believe came from the Lord, and you judge that. Names may often carry certain traits of personalities and even characteristics of ministries. One common name is Andrew, which actually means a warrior. And oftentimes parents wonder why their son Andrew is always at times very violent, while he's just living up to his name. <laughs> Elijah was a famous prophet of the Old Testament whose name depicts Jehovah is God. When we consider all the miracles he performed, the one that stands out is when he proved to Israel who was the true God of Israel. He said, the God who answers with fire, he is God. The name of Moses is very significant as it means drawing out, out of the water that is rescued. See the Strong's Hebrews Concordance number 04872. Moses looked up to his name. 
he rescued God's people from the Egyptians. For over 400 years they were slaves, and this man rescued from the river Nile became their emancipator. With great signs and wonders, he crushed the power of the Egyptians, rendering their gods powerless against the might and power of the God of the Hebrews. Let's now talk about the early life of Moses, and that's found in Exodus chapter 2, 1 to 19. His parents were Amram and Jochebed, Exodus chapter 6, 20. Their names are very meaningful, and when interpreted, we may see the definite role they played in the early years of Moses' life. Amram means high priest. To fully comprehend the meaning of Jochebed, we have to consider all the Hebrew words that make up her name. And these are Jochebed and Jehovah is burdened, and then also self-existing one. And if you do a good word study, study in the Strong's Hebrew Concordance, all the, the names are listed and the numbers, and it's an outstanding, outstanding teaching. It also, also mean, it's also derived from the Hebrew word kabad, and it means, the word kabad means to be heavy in a bad sense or in a good sense. Numerous, rich, honorable, cause to make weighty, and so on, affected, uh, boast, be chargeable, done, glorified. And assimilated all of what is mentioned in the Hebrews, the Strong's Hebrews Concordance, we can conclude there are two meanings of the name Jochebed. Firstly, Jehovah is heavily burdened and afflicted. Secondly, Jehovah is gloriously rich in honor. Moses' mother's unique name was a vivid glowing picture of just how Jehovah felt about his covenant people who endured suffering at the hands of the Egyptians. Their pain, let me say their pain, became God's pain. Some may say this is a gross exaggeration. However, when we allow scripture to interpret scripture, we see that God, the Almighty is more than able to feel pain. Hear the word of the Lord. For we have an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points like as you and I, without sin. The high priest is none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God, whom God the Father addresses as God. The strong Greek concordance sheds much light on infirmities. It means feebleness, of mind or body, by implication, a malady which means sickness, morally, moral, morally frailty, disease, sickness, weakness. All this speaks of God's feeling towards you and I, and more so to the, to the Jewish nation during the time of the captivity. Jake Jochebed had a grave responsibility. She had to transfer the burdens of affliction that God felt for his elected people to her son Moses. Once again, some may say that this is going too far. However, when we consider the very words of God, many of God's people will understand that God can and will transfer his heart to his people. And those and that those will lay down their life that other on those that will lay down their life that others may be set free from sin's bondage. Hear the word of the Lord. And the Lord said, 
I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard the cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and a large land, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hebites, and the Jebusites. Exodus chapter 3, 7 to 8. Just how was God to come down? Was the word of God to become flesh, that the Israelites be set free from their horrendous years of enduring bondage? No, not at that point in time. God came down and empowered Moses as the chosen emancipator of God's chosen people. Jacobin, in a unique way, was to lay a strong spiritual call on a little son. Amram's significant name most certainly depicts just who Moses was to deliver, and that none other than Jehovah's high people, for that is the meaning of the name Amram. These high people were extraordinary in that they were the only nation with whom Jehovah God was in a covenant relationship with. Moses, the rescued, became Moses, the rescuer of God's covenant people. Moses was born during a catastrophic time in the history of the Jewish nation. Fearful of the rapid multiplication of the Jews and the possibility of them joining the enemies of Egypt, waging war against Egypt and fleeing from Egypt, the king laid heavy burdens on God's elect. Taskmasters were put over them, afflicting them with extreme burdens. They were physically forced to both store cities at Bethlehem and Ramses. God's chosen covenant people became Egypt's slaves. They became the workforce of the Egyptians. However, the greater the burden, the greater the multiplication of the chosen covenant people. Pharaoh could not understand that even with all the harshness of forced labor, he could not stand the escalation of the Hebrews and therefore he devised one more evil that would surely stem the phenomenal growth of the immigrants. By the way, someone said that the word Hebrew means immigrant. All newborn males were to be killed at birth by the midwives. It was at this crisis time that Moses was born and after hiding him away for three months, Jochebed, which means Jehovah is grievous and gloriously rich, prepared a special basket and sent it down the Nile River with baby Moses in it. This was an act of great faith. In her heart, she knew that the son was destined for great things for God. Jochebed exercised faith, but she knew that the faith had to be accompanied by wisdom. And therefore she sent Miriam, the sister of Moses, to see what would happen to Moses. The Word of God gives a vivid and an emotional description of how the baby Moses was rescued from the Nile River. Let's listen to what the Word says. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now, 
The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her young woman walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go! So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became a son. She named him Moses. She said, I drew him out of the water. Exodus chapter 2, 3 to 10. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version, UK. Praise God. Rest assured, Jochebed was the nurse Miriam called. The Word of God does not declare how long Jochebed nursed Moses. I'm personally of the opinion between two to three years, or maybe up to five years. However, what is of paramount importance is in that short time, she not only deposited the call of God to Moses, she also imparted the very pain that God had for his suffering enslaved covenant people. The modern-day church lays stringent teachings on the transfer of evil spirits. However, very little is said of the transfer of God's Holy Spirit to God's elect. We are so quick to promote the negative and so slow to promote the positive, or even worse, we do not believe that the positive is more than possible. On close examination, there's a positive example of the transfer of spirits in the Old Testament narrative of Elijah and Elisha. The young aspiring protege, Elijah, knew that in order to fill the spiritual void that Elijah was leaving after his departure, he had to have the very anointing that rested on his spiritual mentor to continue the unfinished work of his martyr, mentor. And no wonder he asked very specially, very specifically rather, for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Hear the word. Then Elijah took his coat and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was spotted to one side and to the other. So the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elijah said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit upon me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. That is 2 Kings chapter 2 verse, chapter 2 verse 8 to 10. There are those certain scholars, and may I add, renowned men of God, who stipulate in order for a biblical truth to be accepted, there has to be mentioned at least twice in the Word of God. Thank God, concerning the spirit transfer of Elijah's power, there is a confirmation that there was a different transfer from Elijah to Elisha. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elijah. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Now surely that two scriptures will confirm the, the spiritual truth that the spirit of one person can be transferred to another person. And yet in saying that, it's the spirit of God that's on the person that is transferred to another person. Amen.
Using the experience of the two above-mentioned prophets, I am of the persuasion that there was a different transfer of Jehovah's empathy that rested heavily upon Jochebed. After winning Moses, he had no more dealing with Moses. He was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Though Jochebed was separate from the son, that which was deposited in the spirit of Moses lived on. No wonder there came that time when no longer Moses saw himself as an Egyptian. And hear what the word of God says in regard to that. By faith, when Moses was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Hebrews 11, 24. The above verse emphatically states that Moses by faith began to see himself as an Israelite. He was more than willing to identify with his own people rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of living as an Egyptian prince. Within the inner man of Moses, there was a spiritual awakening and a stirring that he could not fully comprehend. The Spirit of God activated that which Jacob had installed in him in a very short space of time. How was this possible? He lived within an environment that was void of Jehovah God. There was no way that faith could come alive. There was no word of God resounding in Pharaoh's palace. As born-again spirit-filled Christians, we are well aware that it is the word of God that produces faith. The Spirit of God quickened the very word that Jacob spoke over Moses, and he was being best as he was being breastfed. As spiritful Christians, as spiritful Christians, we know that God's unadulterated word will never ever return null and void. It will forever accomplish its divine purposes. God, the Holy Spirit, will always bring back to remembrance, remembrance that which we had heard. God's word will never return null and void. Unable to comprehend the inner dealings of the Spirit of God, no doubt Moses took matter into his own hands and murdered an Egyptian who was mercilessly beating an Israelite. Moses fled in fear of his life for Pharaoh had heard of Moses' evil action. Rest assured, other men God's people have to flee from impending danger. They rush into the safe arms of the living God and they're in the sanctity of God's holy presence. A new and a better chapter of their life begins. A classic example is Moses and who else? Jephthah. Let me now speak of the three specific periods in the life of Moses. I trust you are enjoying this. It's just not information that's been shared. I believe the Spirit of God is with us and with you. Several scholars wisely subdivide Moses' life into three specific periods, and that being 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years in the service of God. As a young minister of the glorious gospel, I always pondered on this, and very graciously, I believe that the Holy Spirit, in His unique way, revealed to me the various reasons. No doubt this is subject to your judgment. The first 40 years was a definite period of grandeur in Egypt, raised as an Egyptian. The second period was 40 years in the wilderness for three exact purposes. First and foremost, to take Egypt out of Moses. Secondly, to take Moses out of Moses. And finally, thirdly, to place God in Moses. 
Remember God had said, I have come down to deliver my people. How did God come down to his people? He possessed Moses. Hallelujah. We, the modern day servants of God, are no different to Moses. And no wonder Romans 12, 1, 2 speaks volumes to us. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a loving sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God is well aware for us to be effective with lots of results in the ministry that we have to empty ourselves of self. What is done in the flesh will only be for a time and a moment. As we lay ourselves on the altar of sacrifice, God, who is a consuming fire, will receive the sacrifice. As we yield ourselves to God, we will empty ourselves of self and God will fill us with himself. Someone shout amen. Amen. Thank you, Ian. God's servants have to realize that God's will can only be done with God's power. And to have God's power expressed through our life and ministry, we must be filled with God to the sense of overflowing. Let me reiterate that. God's servants have to realize that God's work can only be done with God's power. And to have God's power expressed through our life and ministry, we must be filled with God to the sense of overflowing. No wonder John the Apostle speaks of living waters flowing from us. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters. But this spake he of, of the Spirit, which they believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. John chapter 7, 37 to 39. Let's now speak of the call of Moses. It is my personal understanding that God will always reveal himself in some peculiar way to those whom he calls to the ministry. And furthermore, every call is uniquely different. We cannot confine God's call to one servant of God's peculiar experience. Not all of us will have a Moses experience or a Saul experience. What is of paramount importance is that we will hear within our inner man the call of God, whether in a still small voice or the thunderous sound of the resounding voice of God. Moses' call was unique to him. He saw a burning bush that was not consumed. On approaching the burning bush, he hears the voice of a mighty God calling his name twice. He answers and is told to take off his sandals as he's standing on holy ground. God introduces himself as the God of the Jewish patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and that being the covenant-keeping God. All this is recorded in Genesis chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 15, chapter 17, chapter 22, 26, 28. God conveys the sufferings of His covenant people and commissions Moses to deliver God's chosen people. Moses is reluctant for the simple fact that he considers himself and not who God is. 
He makes another excuse that the chosen people of God will not believe him as God had not revealed his name unto his covenant people. And furthermore, the people will not believe that God appeared unto him. God, knowing the frailty of Moses, gives Moses definite and convincing signs that he is most definitely with Moses and that he will be God's power and not Moses' ability, nor lack of ability that will wrestle the chosen people out of the evil grip of Pharaoh. I want to reiterate it, for it's very vital. God, knowing the frailty of Moses, gives Moses definite and convincing signs that he is most definitely definitely with Moses, and that it will be God's power and not Moses' ability nor lack of ability that will wrestle the chosen people out of the evil grip of Pharaoh. The first sign is preceded by a question. What is in your hand? Moses held in his hand a rod. However, this was no ordinary rod. Finish, finish, Phyllis Jenis Dakes, I can't pronounce it, but I'll just say Jenis, Jenis Dakes. The composer of the Dakes Bible states that it was a shepherd's crook, a shepherd's rod. For 40 long years, Moses served his father-in-law as a shepherd, minding and caring for the sheep. Moses was instructed to cast the rod, the shepherd's rod, let me say that again, to cast the shepherd's rod to the ground. And even as he obeyed, the rod became a serpent. On picking it up by the tail, it becomes a shepherd's rod once again. The second sign was Moses' hand into his bosom and taking it away from his bosom, the hand became leprous. Or rather, putting his hand into his bosom, it became leprous. leprous. And on reacting the progress again, the hand was restored back to normal. The third sign was the taking out from the river Nile water and put it out on the ground and thus turning the water into blood. What that was to convince the elders, what Moses held and himself, what Moses held in his hand was but a shepherd's crook, a rod. However, on close examination of the infallible word of God, there are two occasions that mark what I'm saying. There are two occasions that the simple rod, the shepherd's rod, is referred to as the rod of God. Let me reiterate. What Moses held in his hand was but a shepherd's rod. However, on close examination of the infallible word of God, there are two specific occasions that the simple rod, the shepherd's rod, is referred to as the rod of God. Hallelujah. And Moses, hear the word, took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass and he returned to the land of Egypt and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Exodus chapter 4 verse 20. Notice Moses took the rod of God. Moses' shepherd's rod became the rod of God. Hallelujah. Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Notice the rod of God in my hand. Not the shepherd's rod. <laughs> Not Moses' rod, but the rod of God. God 
in the above two scriptures is most definitely conveying spiritual truth. Whenever man takes that which is in his hand, no matter how minute or insignificant, and gives it to God, there is great transformation. The natural will always become the super supernatural. The mundane, the ordinary will always become the extraordinary. The insignificant will always become significant. Hear shout, amen. Amen. After all the above convincing signs, Moses was still reluctant to heed the call of God. His final excuse was his inability to speak fluently and eloquently. God once more endeavors to convince him that with God all things are possible with God, for it was God who created man. Oh, praise God. I hope you're enjoying this. Let's not speak of the symbolism of the rod of Moses, the rod of God. The rod of Moses is also referred to as the rod of Aaron, the elder brother of Moses, Numbers chapter 17, and the rod of God, Exodus chapter 4, Exodus 17. Like I said earlier, it was a simple rod to guide the herd of sheep and to be a means of support for the tired shepherd. It had no special powers. However, whenever raised heavenward, waved and struck the power of God, it would become, let me reiterate, sorry I made a mistake. It had no special powers. However, whenever raised heavenward, waved and struck, the power of God would come upon it to perform mighty signs and wonders. This rod, this shepherd's rod that became the rod of Moses, or rather was the, Mo the rod of Moses, and became the rod of Aaron, was also the rod of God. It was symbolic of the hand of God. Jennings dates in his Dates and Noted Reference Bible cites 42 miracles that Moses performed by the rod of God. Now I'm going to mention all these. Number one, Moses by the rod turned the rod into a serpent. Number two, the serpent turned back into the rod of Moses. Moses' hand turned leprous. This was not by the rod though. Moses' hand was healed of leprosy. Then the rod, number five, the rod turned into a serpent before the elders of the people of Israel. The serpent turned back into the rod before the elders of Israel. Moses' hand became leprous before the elders of the people of Israel. The leprous hand of Moses healed before the elders of the people of Israel. The rod of Aaron be be became a serpent before Pharaoh. The rod swallowed the rods of the Egyptian magicians. Moses changes the waters of the Nile River into blood. That was the first plague struck, struck with the rod of God. Rod of Moses and the rod of Aaron. Aaron stretched his hand with the rod in his hand, which caused the plague of frogs. Then the cessation of the of the plague of frogs. Aaron stretching out his rod over the dust of the earth, and thus turning dust into into gnats. The fourth plague, the plague of flies. Goshen, where the Israelites lived, were not affected by the plague. Another miracle. 
the cessation of the plague of flies, the third plague of Mirain, the livestock of Israel immune to the plague of Mirain, the sixth plague of boils upon the Egyptians and the animals, Moses stretching out the rod toward heaven, causing thunder and hail and fire to come down, the land where the Egyptians dwelt. Goshen, where the Israelites lived, was exempt from the seventh plague. The cessation of the seventh plague, the stretching of the rod over the land of Egypt, bringing forth locusts to destroy the plant life of Egypt. The cessation of the plague of locusts, the stretching forth of the hand of Moses towards heaven, thus incurring darkness to come over Egypt. Goshen, where the Israelites lived, was exempt from the plague of darkness. Number 28, the death of all the firstborn, both mankind and animals. Whoa. Praise God. Number, that's number 28. Let me go to number 29. All the firstborn of the Israelites were exempt from the final plague of death. Moses stretching his rod over the Red Sea and divided it to the left and to the right, thus causing the pathway through the Red Sea on dry ground. Number 31. Moses stretching his hand over the sea, no doubt with the rod is rock in his hand, causing it to come together and thus drowning the Egyptians. Moses cast a tree into the bitter waters of Mara, which sweetened the water. The raining of bread from heaven, the eating of flesh. Moses smiting the rock with his rod, thus causing drinking water to gush forth from the rock. The raising of the hands of Moses with the rod of God, firmly gripping in his hands, thus conquering the Am Amalekites. The quenching of fire of death, the healing of, of, of Moses' sister Miriam, the earth swelling up the 250 rebels, the cessation of the plague of death, Moses striking the rock, causing drinking water to gush forth from the rock. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. What is in your hand? A simple man, a simple man like Moses, a shepherd. So many miracles. Because what he had in his hand, he gave it to God. I've always wondered why there were 10 plagues poured, about, poured out upon Egypt. It was always my opinion that just one act of God's supernatural power would suffice for the immediate deliverance of his chosen people. God, with his infinite wisdom, used the 10 plagues for definite reasons. Number one, Pharaoh would know that the God of Hebrews was truly God. When Moses and Aaron spoke to Pharaoh the first time of letting God's people go, he was blatantly disrespectful and even denied the existence of the God of Hebrews. He said, and Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Number two, to convince the Egyptians that the gods were but idols and had no power to resist the might of God. David Patfield, in his article against all the gods of Egypt, states that they worshipped worship over, over 80 false gods. Number three, God honored his promise of deliverance he made to Abraham concerning the seed of Abraham. I think it'll be good for you to read Genesis chapter 15, verses 12 to 16. And then finally, to show forth God as the father and savior of all God's people who put their trust and confidence in Him. This is vital what I'm saying now. Let me reiterate that. To show forth God as the Father and Savior of all God's people who put their trust and confidence in Him. Not only 
Well, the Hebrews saved from the 10th plague, and that being the plague of death. All those Egyptians that sought sanctuary in the homes of God's chosen people, where the blood of the Lamb was painted on the lintels and two doorposts of the door, were saved. This is a classic, classic picture of Jew and Gentile becoming one through the grace and mercy of Almighty God. Hallelujah. Hear what the New Testament says. For he is our peace who hath made both man one. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us. Ephesians 2. Now let's discuss vengeance belongs to God. Moses and Aaron played no part in the final plague. The plague of death, that being the final plague. All Moses and Aaron had to do was but instruct God's elect to, pray, to prepare a lamb for each of their households. The lamb was to be killed and the blood thereof was to be painted on the lintel of the door and the two side, side posts of the door. The blood was a sign to the Lord to pass over those households that, are, that had applied the blood of the lamb. Moses was born during the time that Pharaoh declared an edict that all the male children of the Hebrews had to be killed at birth. God's people were shattered and rest assured. They cried out for vengeance for the death of their innocent children. Eighty years later, God himself poured out his vengeance on the Egyptians for shedding innocent blood. Here was a lesson for Moses and for all of God's servants to this present day. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Now, we're going to discuss spiritual application. And what this simply means is this, much has been said about life, in the life of Moses. But what we want to do now is take what happened in Moses' life and make it applicable to you and I. So let's make some spiritual application. Number one, Moses was raised as an Egyptian and yet graciously influenced by the caring and loving spirit of God that rested upon his mother Jochebed, and that for at least three years or possibly five. And Moses became the deliverer of God's people because of her action. Initially, he took matters into his own hands and murdered an Egyptian. Even as he fled in fear of his life, he unknowingly ran into his God-ordained future with God. There in the wilderness, God prepared him for divine service. All that what God wanted of Moses was that which was in his hand and in his heart. Yet God's people in his heart. Spiritual application number two. Are there perhaps any similarities between Moses and us? We too were raised in an environment void of God. A world that has often turned its back against God. Like Moses, we too had sinned. Perhaps not murderers. And thus, because we sinned, like Moses, we had come short of the glory of God. There is always that special day in all of our lives that God will make himself known to us through the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is present ourselves to him in our desire 
for active service in the kingdom. Amen. And simply show to God what's in our hand. As defiled as they are, God will cleanse our defiled hands. The very way he cleansed the vile lips of Isaiah with the tongues from off the altar, Isaiah 6. Whatever is in your hands, no matter how minute, how large, how insignificant and even significant, simply lay it down before the throne of grace and you will be amazed of how God through you will deliver all those who are enslaved by sin and demonic powers. The rod of Moses has been replaced with the word of God. Hold it in your hand as a two-edged sword, worded in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit, and the gods of this world will flee. Spiritual application once again. Let us not lose heart as we consider our status. Many of us come from backgrounds of poverty and ignorance. It is true that many, even some in ministerial leadership, First, consider the level of education and influential status of those desiring to enter the ministry. Many are lost to the ministry because they fall short of the expectation of others. I have always maintained that God considers the potential of a man and not the perfection of a man. I have further said it is not what you know, it is who you know. And I might not know it all, but I know him that knows it all. Let me repeat. I have said, it is not I, it's not what I know or you know. It is I, no, let me say that again. It is not what you know, it is who you know. And I might not know it all, but I know him who knows it all. Let me assure you that God has his eye upon you. Who knows, you might be like a David, obscure for the simple fact you are not in the eye of the public. You are surrounded by remoteness. However, in your obscurity, hidden from man, you like David have attached yourself to God. And it's not, and it is not man that will propel you to the fall. It is God that will open the door to his perfect world for your life. I am of the persuasion man is kept down. But no man can keep God's man down. It is exciting to know that God delights to use the discarded, the marginalized, and the so-called ignorant for the simple reason to shut those up who are egotistical and who constantly look down upon others. Like Moses, David also had a shepherd's rod. No doubt, you do not have a shepherd's rod. Probably you may, may have a saw and a hammer or a laptop, a simple man without a shepherd's rod. But praise be to God, you do have a shepherd's heart. And that meets God's standard for the ministry. Yes, you may not have a shepherd's rod. It might just be a hammer or a saw or a laptop. But although you don't have a shepherd's rod, praise be to God forevermore. You have a shepherd's heart and it's that which qualifies you for the ministry. Another spiritual application. Never ever consider your abilities nor the lack thereof. It is not what you can do for God that counts. Rather, it is what God does through you. 
Then another spiritual application. The naming of our children, even our ministries, are very vital. Often names and even titles carry characteristics that are synonymous with godlessness. Moses was named by an Egyptian princess. Some Hebrew scholars say advocate Jacobin. The name has great significance. In some circles, it is seen as savior. The common meaning of the name is drawn from the water. The rescued became the rescuer. Another spiritual application. Our ministry should never be molded on God's Bible characters. Even on Moses, on David, on Paul, on all of these men, though they are great. Whenever we mimic, we not only incorporate their strengths, but their weaknesses as well. Our model for our life and ministry should only and always be Jesus, for He alone is perfect. Another spiritual application. Moses had a simple shepherd's rod that God used in great signs and wonders. We have the Word of God. Many servants of God wonder why the signs and wonders of God are so far and between in our day. The answer is so simple. God confirms His Word with signs following Mark 16, 20. Be that the church is not actively engaged in evangelism and missions, then sadly there is no need for God to confirm His Word. If we're always sitting on our B.O.T. toms in the church, don't expect signs and wonders, because signs and wonders follow the man of God, the woman of God, that go out in a lost world preaching the gospel. Another spiritual application. Moses was born during a major crisis. Pharaoh had passed a decree that all the newborn Hebrew male children be killed at birth. Like Moses, we too are born in a crisis time. The book of Esther presents a great challenge to God's modern day people. For if we keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another person, another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you not come to the kingdom of God for times such as this. Excuse me. Just as Moses' life was divided into three spans, so is our life. Moses had a past that was not good in Egypt. Moses had the wilderness experience that prepared him for the ministry. Thereafter, Moses served God and the Israelites for 40 years. We too have a past that was dictated by sin and sorrow. Thereafter, born again, we were spiritually pruned through the process of sanctification. As we matured, God placed in our ministry, as we matured, God placed into the ministry He had purposely designed for us, each one of us. All of God's people have a past, a present, and a future. What is of vital importance is that we always bear in mind that no matter how bad the past was, God is more than able to change His people around and that for the better. My father always told me that people are never too bad to become good. God's grace is able to mold people for the better. Our past when forsaken can never be our future. Let me say that again. Our past when forsaken can never mold our future. It is our present state that molds our future. Therefore, it is extremely essential 
that we live dedicated lives in the now unto God that our future be blessed of the Lord. Amen. One more, or rather two more spiritual applications. It is inevitable that the very people we minister unto will come up against us. It is easy for us to cut them off. At times we might even want to recompense them. As the ministers of the gospel, we must never recompense evil with evil. We at all times must pray for our persecutors and for those who despitefully use us. As ministers of the gospel, we must always bear in mind that we are serving people who are in the process of being perfected. At all times, though it breaks our spirit, we must be gracious, always ready to forgive and reconcile. As ministers, we are preaching the gospel of forgiveness. And being that we ourselves cannot forgive, then sad to say we are making a mockery of this gracious gospel of untending forgiveness, of unending forgiveness. Furthermore, we must never ascend to high positions at the demise of others. We should never use people's setbacks. Our spiritual responsibility is to restore those who have fallen and not to take advantage of their demise. Then, last but not least, many day ministers of the gospel have the lone ranger mentality. There's so much we can glean from the ministry of Moses. He saw himself as inadequate as Israel's delivered, deliverer. The task was way beyond him and therefore God gave Aaron as his ministry companion. In the New Testament, we see similarities. Paul and Barnabas as his Aaron, Moses, uh, Paul and Barnabas as his Aaron, Moses saw himself as adequate. And therefore God gave Aaron to be his assistant. In our modern day, there are too many of us who are overconfident. We consider our status, our theological diplomas and degrees and deem ourselves more than capable capable to do the work of, law, of the Lord Jesus. The master mentor give us, gives us an excellent example of how we ought to operate in the ministry. And he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth two by two and gave them power of unclean spirits. Later we see Barnabas and Saul sent forth by the Antioch church in Acts 15.20. We note that Paul chose Silas as his ministry companion. Too many of God's modern-day ministers are all on their own and no wonder they burn out. They carry the heavy load all by themselves and the work of God becomes insipid. We all need other men of God to come alongside us to help us to be effective in the ministry. Thus ends this chapter. I trust it has been a blessing to you and that God's grace will be your portion. I'm going to call Ian to come and say a word of prayer. Come, come sit here in and say a word of prayer. Pray for our hearers. This is the man that always helps me. Thank you, Lord, for the word that was shared today, Lord. And we just pray that, Lord, as it goes out, Lord, on the internet, Lord, and um, around the world, we just pray, Lord, that people's hearts will be touched, Lord, that this word, Lord, will, that people will not only um, hear, Lord, but they'll be doers of the word as well, and that you just put it into people's hearts, Lord, and that um, and that this word will be effective, Lord, and not null and void, but, Lord, that you have a purpose and a plan and for this word. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, my brother and my sister, what is in your hand? If what is in your hand is not of God, get rid of it. But 
eat that which is in your hand of God and God has placed it there, then now put it in your spirit and do the work of the Lord. God bless you and may His grace always be your daily experience. Amen. Hallelujah.